As we've gone through these weeks considering, as I entitled it, the art of war or spiritual warfare, we realize that every piece of armor that we put on is significant, but as we get to the conclusion of this, we understand the importance of what Paul is saying. As Paul closes this section on the armor of God, he talks about the defensive importance of defeating Satan. You know, it, it would be nice to think that, that we begin our Christian life and we give our heart to Jesus and everybody's happy and we get baptized and you go through uh, a class or, or you learn more about the faith and, and, and you're innocent and everything's wonderful and beautiful, but the reality is the moment you make that commitment to Christ and you turn your heart over to Him, you are facing the realization that Satan himself despises you. He hates you. And he's the God of this world. And if we don't become equipped right away, we will become defeated. It's very easy to get discouraged in this world. There's an important thing that we do as Christians, and that is unity. Unity doesn't mean we're all on the same page, we all agree, we all have the same thoughts, and we do the same thing. No, that, that never happens. The reality is this. Uh, we have unity because in Christ he draws us together and strengthens us because each one of us that have named the name of Christ as our Savior, who've confessed our sins and forsaken them, who've allowed the Holy Spirit to, to place himself within us, have, we have a strength of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't dwell in this, this beautiful building when we leave after the service. The lights are turned off and the doors are locked. He's not in here. We look at the windows, and Chuck and I were enjoying these, and we grew up in, in ch churches that looked like this. Nowadays, churches look like a, a barn that's been spray-painted black. People get on a stage, and they stand up there. Uh, this is the church we grew up in that will draw your, your heart upward toward God. And we look about, and we are reminded of the faith and the faithfulness of our God. But in a place like this, as beautiful as this is, God does not live in here, and His Holy Spirit is not here until you show up and bring the Holy Spirit within you. And we are touched by as much of the Holy Spirit as you allow out of your life. Now, as Christians, we can very simply toot our own horn and talk about ourselves and forget about the Holy Spirit. And some people believe that that God and me make something that's wonderful. And the reality is the me part is not necessary for God to work. In fact, the truth is the closer you grow to God, what happens is this. There's, there's less of you and more of Jesus. That's what it means to mature in the faith. It's not our personality and our traits and our characteristics. It's not our abilities and talent that really make him shine. Not at all. In fact, what happens is sometimes our personality and our traits and our inadequacies interfere with the Holy Spirit communicating out of us to those round about us. I want to remind you that these last two things, the weapon of God's Word and the weapon of prayer, are so important. Prayer is the glue which binds this armor together. And if you don't have a prayer life with God, if you don't commune and communicate with Him, you're useless and helpless. I can remember years ago playing football at uh, the, the last high school that I attended, Russell High School. And when I arrived at this school, I'd been in Christian schools um, 
for, for some time, and, and thanks to my brother's inability to obey the law, wherever it was, we, we got moved from Christian school to Christian school and finally got booted out of all of them and I ended up in, in a public high school, which by the way, I met more Christians in the public high school than I did in the private school. And while I was there, I, I noticed right away, Murray, I, I, I always played football and immediately they told me that I could do that and I walked in there and for some reason, surprisingly, everybody was four inches taller than me and 50 pounds heavier. And I looked around and I said, what are they feeding these people? It was unbelievable. It was such a different environment as far as, as the team there. But here's what happened when I looked at them and I realized what was there. They had a unity together as a team that I'd never seen in, in the private school football teams that I had. And when I walked out on the field, I was not terrified because all these guys were so much bigger. I was encouraged because I knew that I was one of many and we stood together. And, and, and there was such a power in that. I learned something about the Christian life when I was there with them. I realize that there is a power in unity that we don't have anywhere else, and we're bound together by what Christ has given to us. I also realize that you can have all the armor padding on playing football, but if you don't move, you're going to be run over and hurt. And when we put the armor of Christ on to go out and to defensively and offensively do what he's called us to do, we have to move and make a difference. Now, I'll tell you this. If you move, you're going to create friction. And when you create friction, there will always be people who will criticize you. If your goal in life is to be liked by everybody, you will never be a servant of Christ. People were angry at him all the time. They were frustrated with his truth because it did not fit in their agenda. And if your goal as a Christian is to make everybody happy, I'm sorry, but you're going to be miserable in life. It is our responsibility to serve our Lord obediently and, and with such a passion and a focus that we never lose touch with our relationship with Him and to love one another. But you know what? Sometimes truth cuts deeply and we have to stand for that in a mighty way. I want to think for a little bit about prayer because we talk about prayer in many ways and, and I've told you before that, that when we commune and communicate to God, we call that prayer. Yet, you ask 99 out of 100 Christians what it is when God speaks back to you, and they don't know what it is because generally they, they're carrying on a monologue, not a dialogue. They're not trying to communicate to God and then let him speak back to them. They want to just tell him what they think, run on down the road, and just hope that God will give them what they've asked for. I'm not quoting a country music song, but thank God for unanswered prayers. Amen? I'm glad God doesn't answer all of our prayers. I'm glad that he is bigger and better and more powerful than we are. He's wise enough and loves us enough that, that he knows we don't know what we need. But God wants us to pray. Now, when God speaks to us, it's called guidance. And he guides us in many ways. He speaks through his Holy Spirit within us. He speaks through other brothers and sisters in Christ. Many times when I was seeking God's message to come from me, Chuck would be the one that'd speak to me because he's my brother. We love each other. We've been together through a lot of storms in life. And I've always been able to depend on Chuck and Susan to be there for me. They've loved me through some horrible situations. They were there. And, and you grow when you go through those storms. Can he have traveled far? said Amy Carmichael, 
who has no wound nor scar. If you travel for the Lord, you're going to be scarred and you're going to be wounded. Well, let me think about prayer for a little bit, kinds of prayer. I'm not talking about ways to pray or words to say. I'm not talking about the pattern for prayer that we were taught by our Lord. I'm talking about something different than that, kinds of prayers. Think about these. They're what I refer to as secret prayers. These are the prayers that that we keep in our hearts alone that we would never share with anybody else. No one but God will hear what we're saying. They're far too personal. They're dealing with situations that are very private. Only God needs to know about that. And these are secret prayers, prayers that we wouldn't write down. Prayers sometimes that are not uttered with words but are uttered with tears. They're the prayers that bind someone and focus on God for many years. I can't help but when I think about secret prayers to think about one of the most precious members of this church, Ralph Derryberry, who raised his children in this church, and he had one son who was very rebellious. You know who I'm talking about. For 20 years, he prayed for that boy to be saved. For 20 years, he prayed that God would not let him go too far away. And I remember not so long ago when Ralph's casket was right here before this pulpit. And I looked down and Kevin was on the second row. And people had not even started coming in yet. We were here early setting everything up. And Kevin began to weep uncontrollably. He leaned over and he just hugged himself like this and he continued to cry. And I walked down and I said, Kevin, are you okay? And he says, Brother Jerry, he said, I can't help but think about the Sunday I was sitting right here. And I realized, it finally got through my head that my dad's prayers all those years had caused the Holy Spirit to stay with me and never give up on me. And he said, I still remember rising up and coming forward. And Kevin Derryberry Ministries has impacted not hundreds, but thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Thank God for that private secret prayer that went on for 20 years. There's also what we call open prayers, and and these are are prayers we share with others. Usually, these are in the form of prayer requests. You share your burdens, and people pray. They're what we call social prayers, and you know what social prayers are. That's the one that that you, you just, you know, somebody calls on you to pray, and you stand up, and you just pray kind of in the pattern you always pray. These are not always sincere prayers. Sometimes social prayers are spoken more to the crowd that's there than to the Lord above. There's solitary prayers, and solitary prayers are very precious to me because that's how I pray when I'm alone. That's how I talk to God, when I just empty my heart out to Him and I I trust Him. I can bear my soul to Him because He created it, He blessed it, and He saved it. So therefore, I can say everything to Him. There are solemn prayers. Solemn prayers are deep and thoughtful prayers. These are prayers when you feel like nothing else can solve your issue and you feel like God has to act on your behalf. And you begin to weep and you cry and you just pour out to God what's going on in your life. There's what I call sudden prayers and these are the prayers that are uttered in a moment of need. These are the prayers, jokingly, that many times students pray when they enter the classroom to take a test. I told you that the student prayer to me from college was, Lord, help me to recall what I did not study. (laughs) He's never answered that prayer in a positive way because I found out, you know, he doesn't do that. I've had people say, I need a miracle today. And I said, no, 
you needed a miracle last night where you would have studied. God answers our prayers by teaching us about ourselves, our own weaknesses and inadequacies, and we've got to learn to listen to him. But if we're going to be victorious over the devil, we're going to have to have all kinds of prayers. You can't just pull out the prayer you'd say in your Sunday school class before everybody there when you're being attacked by Satan himself. You need to be honest with yourself and honest with God about your own weaknesses, your own frailties, your own inadequacies. Men are notorious for this. I've got a, a wonderful book that over the 20 years that I've shared that book, I've shared it with many, many people. And it's a powerful book. It's written for men. It's called the Sam Samson Syndrome. And the Samson Syndrome is basically this. Strong men have great weaknesses. And we're frail, and we don't admit it. We try to cover it over, and we try to hide it with, with certain abilities that we have. But the reality is, Samson, as strong as he was, as great a leader as he was of the nation, he was so frail that he was abused and used and manipulated, and he failed. God granted him one wish. He wanted to come back one last time and, and, and avenge his God, and he did that. But all in all, Samson's life was sad. We don't have to be like Samson, men. We don't have to end up that way. We don't have to try to cover over our weaknesses with, with false strength. Because the reality is that our only strength is in Christ. We must pray at all times. We must pray when things are going well. We must pray when there, we don't anticipate any problems. We must pray when problems come out of nowhere and attack us. We must pray when it seems like nothing else will help. Prayer has to be our constant communication. A lot of talk goes on in churches, and some of it's sad. It's frustrating. Some of the things that are said, I, I get, some, and I don't know if you've been through this, Chuck, but if I part my hair the wrong way, I'm going to hear more comments on that than whether or not I said anything in the sermon made a difference in their life. And that's sad. Those of you that are teachers here know what I'm talking about. You can give a nugget of truth to a child in a whole classroom and they totally miss it. Y'all have the benefit of testing them to see if they got it. I don't have that benefit. Satan does the testing. You realize that? And the reality is we've got to understand church isn't about one person or a few people. It's not about an event going on there. This is not a social club, people. It belongs to God. And yet the church is the most abused and maligned organization known of in the world. Jesus said, upon this rock myself, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why did he say that? Because since the day the church was established, hell has attempted to destroy the church. We've walked around and pretended that, that we're resting on our past or our accolades in church and somehow we're invincible, but the reality is we're not. There's a reason why of the churches talked about in the first few chapters of Revelation, most were failures, not successes. We've got to be people of prayer and not focused on the gathering. An old preacher said one time, most people come to church either to close their eyes or to eye the clothes. And he's not far from the truth for some people. What is your motive for being here today? 
Are you here because you had to be here? Did somebody compel you to be here? Are you here because you truly want to encounter God and, and you understand that this week is full of unexpected situations? You need Him to walk with you. We worship on the first day of the week for a reason. Because this is the time we prepare for our week. And we need Him. A little quote popped up on Facebook the other day, and I love it. it, it it's meant so much to me. Uh, this, this, this person asked a, a little Christian lady, they said, do I have to have Jesus in my heart to go to heaven? And she looked at her and she said, baby, you need Jesus in your heart to go to Walmart. <laughs> but you need him in your heart for everything. If you're looking for a pass into heaven, don't go to church. Stay home and get your heart right before you even come. Because what you ought to be looking for is not a way to get to heaven. You need to be looking for a relationship with the God of this world, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to get right with Him, and then you won't be worried about getting to heaven or getting through your day or getting through next week. Perfect love casteth out fear. What are you afraid of? What are you expecting life to throw at you next? If you don't have Jesus in your life, you're terrified. And no amount of wisdom in this world can get you through this world and safely to heaven without Jesus Christ. Now, I want to think for a minute about two things in prayer that are so important. We talked about different kinds of prayer. I want to think about two things in prayer that we have to have. Number one, we must learn to pray for ourselves. Now, what I mean is to pray for ourselves. Never sit down and think, well, while I'm praying, God's going to look down and be happy with me, and he's going to give me everything I want because he's so glad I'm paying attention to him. God is not your grandmother. God is not that individual that's so delighted that you've shown up and you care about him for a little while that he'll give you whatever you want. Everybody has had that grandparent that would give you anything if you just pay attention to them and spend time with them. And that's wonderful because as grandparents, you want to have your grands around because remember the important thing is this in life. About the time we figure out how to raise kids, we're finished. And grandchildren are a chance for us to look and kind of do things over again and maybe, maybe savor our accomplishments. And that's why it's so wonderful. Also, I've also heard that the reason grandchildren and grandparents get along is because they have a com common enemy, the parent. You know, Maybe that's why they get along. But, but the reality is this. We, as people of faith, can't treat God like he's our grandparent. We need him. He doesn't need us. He didn't create us because he had an emptiness in his life. He created us because he's a God of love. We're to reflect back to him the love that he's given to us freely. We're to show that love in our lives and, and we're to continue to change day by day. Are you more like Jesus today than you were a week ago or a month ago? Are you? Are you shedding the sins that have made your life difficult? Or are you stumbling over the same problems in life? God sent His Son to die so we could overcome our sin. When we learn to pray, we need to pray for ourselves and we need to find God who is merciful and kind. 
There are two passages, one in the Old and one in the New Testament, that's so powerful about who and what we're to be. Isaiah 43 says that, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. There is no God formed, neither shall there be after. He is God, and we're to be his witness. You stand up in court, you lay your hand on the Bible, and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. They don't ask you about your specialty at work. They don't ask you about your educational background. No, they ask you about one thing. You witnessed thus and so. Tell me what you witnessed. Whether you witnessed a crime or an accident or a disagreement or two people in a conversation, that's what you're a witness about, what you've experienced. You're to be a witness of Jesus Christ. You're to tell the lost and dying world who he is and what he can be. If you've not had an experience with Jesus, you can't be a witness. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. What do you witness to? What do you talk about? What stories are you relating to people to help them to understand who Jesus is in your life? Because people are listening. 2 Timothy 4 speaks to us of this. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Chuck, I think we're here. That's the world we're in. Many people in church today, they don't want to talk about what the Bible says. They want something that is fluffy and, and sweet and kind and makes them feel good. They want to walk out of church and, 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 and feel, oh, wow, life is great and wonderful and everything's going to be okay. The reality is, if your life is messed up, if your family is messed up, if you are going the wrong way, walking into sin, you don't need to leave church happy. You need to stay here and get right with God and get your heart right. To pray sincere prayers, not pious, hypocritical prayers, and get right with Him. It's so important that we do that. I grew up and we had a farm in West Georgia, right on the Alabama-Georgia line. And, and in fact, when, when, when your mom and daddy first married, Jean and Marie lived not far from where we had a farm there. We Dowie, Alabama, Heflin, all around that area there. And, and we were in a little, little town there called Centerpoint, Georgia. We had the weirdest trees growing on that property there, beech nut trees. Beech trees are, are strange trees because a beech tree will grow straight up and it'll curve this way. And if you saw it, it'll fall that way because the grain in the wood is just strange. I have a, a scar that goes from my right elbow under my arm all the way up to my armpit because I was cutting a beech tree down with a chainsaw on my property in Thomaston, Georgia when I owned an antebellum home there. And I did not know that the beech tree had grown around a steel fence post about 80 years before that. And when the chainsaw blade hit that, it bounced back and it almost sliced my, my arm off. Beech nut trees are strange. When they grow upward of above 30, 40 feet tall, they begin to grow into other trees and they'll wrap around them. They'll wrap around a maple or an oak tree. They'll wrap around even a pine tree. Beech trees are odd. In fact, if you cut a beech tree, if you want to cut one down, 
when you begin cutting it, very often it won't fall over because it's entangled with other trees up there. And you have to do one of two things. And I remember my dad talking about them because there are beech trees where he grew up in Tennessee. He said, there's one of two things you'll have to do with that tree. He said, either you're, go you're going to back away from it when you cut it and it doesn't fall over and just leave it alone and let the wind or the weather move it. Or there's a second thing, and this is what a wise person would do to fell that tree. They'd begin from the bottom and begin cutting it as much as you can up and then hope that the weight of that would call, cause it to fall down. Now, here's, here's why I'm telling you this. In life, you're going to have entanglements that will bring you to God in prayer. You're going to have to do spiritual battle. And the situation will be one outside your control. It will be entangled in other things. It won't, you won't be able to pray and it will go away. Or you won't be able to read scripture or talk to somebody and everything will get well. It will be a chronic sin that will seem to attack you over and over and over again. It may be a weakness that you have or an inadequacy to grow. Maybe, maybe you see... The church is more of a social venue than a spiritual venue. Your relationship is not, you know, a, a vertical, but it's horizontal. And you have a hard time making these work because you're always disagreeing or always getting entangled in, in problems. You've forgotten about the spiritual element. It's not that because you're in church, you're a Christian. Not at all. Billy Sunday used to say that standing in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Or standing in a barn makes you a milk cow. Being here does not make you a Christian. You've got to have that relationship and grow. And maybe you're struggling because you've never grown in the Lord. You may be an adult or even a middle-aged or senior adult, but spiritually you're an infant and you're on life support. Because you've never grown in that relationship. Martin Luther said one time, talking about dealing with Satan and, and his temptations, he said, for it's not enough to have defended ourselves against the enemy and to be able to stand against him when he attacks us so that we are not able to be defeated. He said, that's defense. But he said, is our relationship with God strong enough that when the enemy pursues us, that our faith and hope is set in Christ alone. And we are not covered with scars that are self-inflicted because of our sin. You see, we're fighting a battle. And the greatest battle you will ever fight is not against somebody else. You may posture it that way, but it's not against somebody else. The greatest battle you'll ever fight is within you. Because we so want to be in control and not turn control over to him. Prayer is not about getting God's attention and talking to him. It's about getting in his presence and becoming more like him. That's the change that we have to have. I believe with all my heart that there's not a person in this room that God doesn't want to grow closer to. But you decide the level of communication. 
just as much as in a little bit when we dismiss, some of you are going to walk out of here and you're going to look at that door and you're going to head straight for that door because your mind's set on something you've got to do this afternoon. You're not going to stop and socialize. That's not going to happen. There are other people, like my buddy Charlie Duckett, he's going to talk to somebody before church is over. Or somebody's going to talk to him because he values the body of Christ in that relationship. And amen, that's what it's about. But realize this. God wants us to commune and communicate with him constantly. Not just when we're exasperated, not just when we're in trouble, not just when we've lost our way, but constantly. Do you want to stay focused in life? Constantly talk to him and listen to his Holy Spirit guide you. And don't doubt him. Trust him. And you'll be amazed what the armor of God can do to defend you against all enemies. Let us pray. Precious Father, I ask that you would guide us to open our hearts and our lives to you right now. Because in this room, Lord, there are people who are struggling. Outwardly, they look fine. Everything seems to be going on. They, they're, they're wearing their Sunday best. But the reality is they're struggling. They're dealing with situations in life or sins that just are insurmountable, seemingly. They need hope and help. And only your Holy Spirit can look in their life and see that. No one else can. And I pray that they, they in their heart of hearts, would turn to you right now and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I don't leave this place one more moment with the struggle in my heart. I want to be close to you even now. I want to confess my sin. I want to find hope and help right now. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them and guide them to do that which is correct for them right now. There's some, some folks here today that need to come forward and join this church. There's something about a level of accountability in the body of Christ that matters. A strength as we come together and encourage one another. Lord, there's some folks here that need to make a public profession of faith. They've never done that before. And today's the day to make that decision. And Father, if there's one that just needs to come and kneel at your altar and pray, in doing that, not only does your Holy Spirit come near and guide them, but others will see them and pray for them and lift them up. And the power of the Spirit will touch them and guide them. Lord, may we not wait another moment to be obedient to you, but may we in this moment, in this moment of invitation, be prepared to say yes, Lord, and not no. And I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen. Let's stand together.